All right, if you would turn with me to Romans this morning, that great epistle of Paul, the great epistle of redemption. It's been well said that if you have studied Romans and also studied Hebrews, you will know the two great central themes of Scripture. That is the redemption that there is in Jesus Christ and the high priesthood of our Savior who always lives to make intercession for us. These are the things that these books cover. Romans covers the plan of redemption, salvation in Jesus Christ. Hebrews, the priesthood of Jesus and the priesthood of all believers that since we are redeemed and the sons of God, we belong to Jesus Christ. And if I can say this very carefully, only the saints of God, only the children of God here this morning will understand what I have to say. And if you are not redeemed yet in the blood of Christ, be sure that you're redeemed because you can't possibly know anything about God except by the Spirit of God. And until the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your breast, you cannot fathom what God has to say. It's an impossibility. No man knoweth the things of God, the Scripture says, except the Spirit of God. So you can't know anything about God until you come by faith in Jesus Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit. And then that book, which was a blank to you, and which you looked at and said, how can anyone understand it? It's such a mystery to me. Even though the words are in two and three syllables, they're not difficult. But you can't possibly fathom its depths and what it means to the soul of man until you've found Christ as your personal Savior, until the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in your breast, and by faith, you see, Having received him, his word then becomes such a marvelous word to your hearts, the very word of God, to feed your souls that you may grow into the stature of Jesus Christ. For as you feed upon the word, you grow just as you feed on regular food and your physical body grows. Even so, for the things of the spirit to grow, you must feed on that word. For Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. So if you are to grow in the things of Christ, you must feed upon the Word. If there are any of you here this morning that are not feeding on the Word, you are famished Christians. You really don't understand the Christian life. You really haven't grasped it fully and come to love Jesus with all your heart so that that Word becomes part and parcel of you. <clears throat> you can't be well-fed Christians living in the joy of your Lord because the Lord does not give his joy to those who do not feast upon his word. He refuses this. If your life is not joyous this morning, if it's not overlooking the circumstances of life, if the circumstances are crushing you, then Christ is not in the place he should be in. Circumstances of life are bound to have a crushing effect upon us in this day we're living in. The circumstances are very bad in this world, and they will get worse. There's no promise that they will get better. 
The scripture says that they shall get worse and worse and worse. So if circumstances now are burdening you down, then the circumstances to come will even burden you down more so that you must feast upon the word of God, that you grow in the things of the spirit of God, and you are given that strength which is Christ's strength to face the circumstances and win the battle of life. It's a battle. It's a battle to be won. But it cannot be won except in Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you are redeemed in the blood of the Lamb, if you have been set aside by God, if you are the children of God, you understand the things of God. We are priests. All of us who believe we are priests with God, for only a priest could ever enter the presence of God. Today, anyone who is not a priest cannot enter the presence of God. Peter says you are a generation of priests unto our God. You can't help but be this, since Jesus says to you, once you come into my family and you've been born again, you've been born into the family of God and you've become a son of God, remember then, and he says in Hebrews, the second chapter, maybe first, I'm not sure, but he says there that he is not ashamed to call us his brethren. He is the elder brother. If I might say he is the high priest, he is, as Aaron was in the Old Testament, only on that much higher level of being the son of God, while Aaron was the high priest to the Jews. But he was born in a certain tribe. Jesus is the very son of God. When we're born again, we come into this blessed family of God. We become the children of God. As the children of God, with Jesus Christ as our elder brother, who he says he is, we then become also priests. He is the high priest, just as in Aaron's family. Aaron was the high priest, and the children were the serving priests, you see. So that when Peter tells us, you are a chosen generation, you are a generation of priests. He is saying to us, you have come into the family of God and you can't be any less than a priest since you are a son of God, you see? Isn't this marvelous to understand? You see, it's just, it's not difficult if you have the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit couldn't dwell on your breast without you being a, a, a priest. A priest has absolute access to God immediately. In the Old Testament, the people all had to flock to the priest to get to God because that was merely the beginning. That was the shadow of things to come. But now he has come who has become our brother because by faith we've received him as, as our Savior and we're in the family of God and God says that we are his children. And he says, my spirit bears witness with your spirit so that you know that you are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs, then heirs with Christ of all his kingdom. So you're in the family of God. So when Martin Luther's great treatise on the priesthood of all believers came out, which was his great treatise, that every believer who found Christ, Luther said, is a priest. He has to be. 
since he's in the family of God and he's a son of God and therefore he has immediate access to God. He doesn't have to run around. He doesn't have to find a sanctuary. He doesn't have to find a special holy place. He doesn't wait till he gets to his bedside at night and go on his knees to see if he can find God. Wherever he is, if he's on a train, if he's in his car, if he's in his home, if mother's in the kitchen, wherever you are, you have absolute direct access to God. This is what it means, you see, when you're really saved. And this is what the gospel of God does for us. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Notice how he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, by the spirit of holiness. He was not like us. He was without sin. All of us have a propensity to sin. Sin has a law for every human being ever born on the face of the earth. But sin could find nothing in Jesus. He says, the prince of the world has found nothing in me. He says, which of you convinceth me of sin? In him, the scripture says, was no sin. So this glorious gospel of God is of the sinless lamb of God. And he was sinless, beloved, that he might be that precious lamb that would take away the sins of the world. Had Jesus had sin in him, he never could be the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. He couldn't take away your sin or my sin, our young people's sin. He couldn't take away anyone's sin unless he was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom ye are also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, not to be saints, that to be is put in by, you notice it's in italics. That to be is put in by those who translated, never should have been there, called saints. You're not called to be saints after you die. If you're not a saint when you die, you're never going to be after. Never going to be a saint. When we hear about someone who has been sainted or made a saint, beloved, nobody on earth can make saints. The word means saint means separated unto God. And we're to know we're called saints. 
Every epistle, when Paul writes his epistles, it's to the saints at the cities he speaks to. And those saints are not dead men. Those saints are living men who found Christ as their Savior and became separated unto God. That's what the word means. Separated unto God. So you're called saints, not to be saints. That was a nice translation that would fit into something that at some later period, after we got to heaven, and after they went through purgatory, and after they went through all of these things, you would finally be saints. Maybe if a group on earth made you one. But how tragic that would be. Isn't it great to be a saint this morning? Saint Martin. Saint Cloyd. That's, that's a little more, you know, Saint Cloyd. There might be a lot of Saint Martins. I doubt there are many Saint Cloyds. Saint Harry. You know, if I don't say a woman's name, you're sure going to tell me that this liberation movement hasn't touched me yet. St. <laughs> Claudia, all right? St. Elizabeth. Hey, that's a good one. St. Elizabeth. I like that. St. Elizabeth. St. Mary. St. Ray. You look at you all. Now, we may not always look like saints. In fact, I doubt we do. But in God's eyes, ah... Uh, and that's what counts. In God's eyes, we're saints. Now, among whom you are called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the simplicity of the gospel of God, and we're speaking of the gospel of God, and these first seven verses, are the introductory to the whole book. Therefore, I'm lingering on it because this is the introduction to all that Paul is going to have to say from God's own mouth through him. And so, the introduction is telling us what we are and how much Paul says in just a few verses there, you see. That we, this gospel of God has called us out, has separated us from the world, called saints. But we're liable, if we're not very careful, because of the simplicity of the gospel, and the gospel is very simple. May I say it's not for simpletons. You know, there's been that kind of an approach to the gospel sometimes, that unless you're very simple in mind, you can't accept this. Don't let that ever deceive you. The finest of minds have accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And then those who do not have, as Paul says, he is debtor to all, to the barbarian, to the Greek, to the educated and uneducated. It doesn't make any difference. You don't have to be educated to understand what it means when it says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You don't have to be educated to know what it means when it says, unless you believe that I am the Savior, you shall die in your sins. 
You don't have to be educated to know what it means when it says the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. If you were to go to God with such an excuse that I didn't have an education, therefore I couldn't understand, Jesus would have to say, I never could make words more simple to you. I made the gospel just as simple as I possibly could so that you knew you could be redeemed no matter what your station in life is. Isn't that glorious? It's for every one of us. I don't know what my IQ is, and it's probably just as well I didn't go and have it investigated. But I don't care what your IQ is. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with that simple act of faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. But, beloved, beyond this, I want to say this, that it's possible that because of this simplicity of the gospel, we may rob ourselves of the breadth and the depth, the immensity and the greatness of the gospel of God. We're liable to confine it to our little selves. We're liable to put the I there and have the whole world revolve around us. But if we do so, we lose, beloved, the greatness of the gospel of God, the vastness of its scope. And we may only see it as saving me and allowing me and permitting me to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, beloved, in order to grasp as much as our mind can take in with its finite capacities, God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can take it all in, so that we get beyond the point where we know about our salvation, that we know we are saved. May I say this? I've said it before, but I must say it again. If the sovereign God has saved you in the blood of Jesus, you're saved. And you'll never be lost. I feel so sorry for people who are wasting their time and doing despot to the spirit of the grace of God by always wondering whether they're saved or not. What a waste of time. But how blessed when you really know that you're saved, that you've been redeemed in the blood of Christ, and Christ has made you a free man. That's what he says. If I've made you free, you're free indeed. Why do you go back, he says, all the time to the beggarly elements? You've been redeemed in the blood of Christ. You have received salvation in Jesus Christ. It's now yours. That has nothing in it of any pride in ourselves. It's saying that Jesus is who he is. Jesus is the Son of God, the sovereign Son of God, the sovereign Holy Spirit, the sovereign Father, and they have, in the councils of eternity past, determined that every soul that believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who died for them individually, is redeemed for time and eternity and can know it so that they can spend some time stopping worrying about their salvation and get out and do something and witness for the Lord Jesus. 
If you're always worrying about your own salvation, you'll have no time to win anybody else. You'll always be spending it on getting on your knees and say, Lord, I hope I'm saved today. Well, when I was Catholic, that's what I did. God, deliver me from such. When I was a Roman, that's what I did. I was a very ardent Roman. And I believed that you had to get the Mass regularly. I was an altar boy. I believed that the only way to stay saved was to go to that place, the church, the center, and to receive through the sacrifice of the Mass forgiveness of sins and week by week and day by day going through the same process. And that's why you see, as I've said before, all the old Roman Catholics are going and wending their way to the church. Why? Because, beloved, they have to make sure they're saved for that day. They may die that day. So every morning, why do you think the, the church has masses from 5.30 or 6 o'clock on so that all the old, not the young, the young feel they live a while, but the old, they all go to Mass because in that day they may die. But oh, how blessed for us. And oh, how I love the Romans. How I love Roman Catholics. If I were to ask for hands here this morning, I'd venture there's at least 50 here who came to Christ solidly, and now know that they're free. Free! Christ has made us free, and we are free indeed. But, beloved, we may hold down on the fact that it's just us that God is dealing with, only us, and we may somehow lose the great and the vastness of the salvation that we have in this gospel of God. And Paul wants to see it right away in the beginning of Romans. We have to go back, back, back to the very beginnings, to the foundations before the world ever was, and see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the triune God, planning for that which we now call Christianity and that which would redeem not only the soul of man, but to redeem the fallen humanity and to redeem the fallen creation so that it isn't just man. It's everything. It's all the world. It's the nations. It's the universe. All waiting for one thing. For God to manifest His sons to all the universe. These are those that were redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. It's a cosmic gospel. It is a gospel that reaches out to the farthermost star. It's a gospel that reaches out to all the planets and all the worlds. It's a gospel whose transforming power not only touches first individual hearts that they may be saved, but will finally touch the very earth we're living on and make it pristine and glorious like not even the Garden of Eden could have been. 
and where Jesus Christ will be the light and there'll be no need of the sun and no need of the moon and no need of the stars and there'll be no church buildings for all the earth is the Lord and the earth shall be his tabernacle and he will dwell in righteousness upon the earth and he will rule the earth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the only high potentate over all the earth. So, beloved, get comprehension of the gospel of God, that it wasn't a gospel just for you, for one individual man, as blessed as that is. God wanted to give you his Holy Spirit. Why? That you would be able to understand his word fully and understand the vastness, the greatness, the universality that takes in all creation, but only takes in a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl who are cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. May I say this? Creation is better off than we are because all creation which has not consciousness will be purified and glorified, but only men who believe. The decision must come in the heart will be those who are glorified. Let me read Romans 8 to you. 18 to 23, if you turn with me, to get you to understand the vastness to get you to comprehend the greatness. Oh, listen, if I can do that for you this morning, will you understand? I have said this time and again, and I say it again, the only reason God put earth here was to get a family for himself. Do you understand that? Earth was not put here for our enjoyment. Earth was not put here for us to build vast fortunes. Earth was not put here for us to become famous. Earth was put here that God might form man in his own image and likeness and put him here. That God might get a family for himself of those who would believe on the name of his own blessed Son. And whether it was in the Old Testament looking forward to the Messiah, they were saved by faith. And in the New Testament, those of us who see Jesus Christ are saved by faith. And whether it was the Old Testament and the Lamb that typified the coming of the Lamb of God, then in the New Testament, it's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So God wants us to see the vastness of it. Our little minds are so finite that only the Holy Spirit can expand them. Young people talk about the expansion of the mind through LSD. Our minds are expanded. Well, let me tell you, young people and older, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you and you give him his rightful place, he will expand your mind far beyond the expansion of any drug in the universe. Drugs have nothing to do 
When people tell me they have a religious experience through some drug they take, God deliver me. The only religious experience you can have that counts anything to God is when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the Holy Spirit that comes in to dwell in your breast by faith and you know that you're redeemed in the blood of Christ. Listen to the vastness of it. 18th verse, Romans 8, For I reckon that the sufferings, remember what I said before, this is a suffering time. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation, it's not creature in the Greek, it's creation, waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves who are redeemed, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. Oh, beloved, <laughs> grasp it. Life has meaning. Life is not a journey to a coffin. Death is the wage of sin, and this old body can't inherit heaven. I know that. Jesus says flesh and blood cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Impossible. But I know one thing. When I set aside this old flesh and blood body, I've got a guarantee of a body that will be fashioned like under the body of Jesus Christ. So I then, beloved, can see the very glory of God with glorified eyes. I shall see Christ. No man can see God and live, the Scripture said. But there'll be a day when I'll see Jesus face to face, but I will see him then with eyes glorified that I can behold him. Do you comprehend the greatness of the gospel of God? That's what Paul wants us to see, this great manifestation. He said, I'm afraid that you may just confine it to your little being, and it's all you, and you, and your growth, and your this, and your that. It is everything. Christ is all in all. And ye are, what? Complete in him. Oh, the vastness of it. May the Holy Spirit give you light that you will see it. May there be the transformed mind. Why do you think the Scripture says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind? Because God knows that with this mind you've got, you'll never comprehend it all. You can't. The carnal mind is at enmity with God and cannot see the things of God. It means the fleshly mind because they are spiritually discerned. So Paul says, God gives you the mind of Christ for his spirit is his mind. 
that you may be able to comprehend the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, who not only touches individual hearts, but is going to touch the universe we live in. And in one great sweep of his hand, all shall be glorified. Creation, there'll be finally a new heavens and a new earth in which shall dwell righteousness. And he'll be the light thereof. I hope you understand. But you'll only understand this morning if you're redeemed in the blood of Christ and you are a new creature because I'm talking of a new creation for new creatures and new creatures only who've been cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. I hope you know him. Time is too short. In this congregation, which is up around the 500 level, in this congregation, if we were to take it by the averages, 10 will be dead within a year. One could be me. I don't know. But I want to assure you, if you're alive and the day comes as the pastor of this church that they put me in a coffin in that church, I want you to remember I won't really be there. That'll be the old shell. I'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord. And they won't be putting me in a coffin like they did Mr. Gallo, $5,000 in bronze. They're going to put me in a simple wooden box because that old body that's going into the ground, that's just a seed. That which cometh forth, God says, is not like that which is sown. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And it is a body. I hope you know him. And if you haven't understood what I've been talking about this morning, may I challenge you to one thing? Number one. Be sure you know Christ as your Savior, all right? Young folks, I'm so happy to hear you talking about Jesus. I'm so happy to hear that my young folks are having prayer meetings by themselves and are talking about having a 24-hour prayer meeting. I'm so happy that they're loving Jesus. I'm so happy that they're going out testifying for Jesus. I'm so happy they have their Bible classes. I praise the Lord for it with all my heart, beloved. But, beloved, may I say this and say it very carefully. Oh, the pleading of my heart this morning is that if you haven't understood everything I say and you're not sure of your salvation, you'll come to Jesus now and know what it means. Then the whole world will look different to you. You'll understand the problems that men have brought upon the earth. You'll know that Jesus says in this world there'll be tribulation, but you'll also know he said, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. One day... You'll be with Jesus because of that simple act of faith in your heart in the Savior who came to redeem you from your sins. Do you know him this morning? Do you know him? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, 
touch hearts this morning. Lord, it may be that someone is here who, as I spoke, thought, I wish I could grasp it all and understand it. It's because it should be simple to the spiritual mind. We remember it tells us the Spirit searches out the deep things of God. Lord, I want all the deep riches of thee. Father, how I pray this morning. No glory to pass the gear. All the glory is Jesus' glory. When souls are saved, it's to his glory. It's not to mine. We will all share in the reward, Lord. Not just pass the gear. I'm certain, Lord, that when I get there, you're not going to say, Pastor again, here's the souls who found Christ in, in the church on Easter Sunday and the other Sundays of the year, and they're to your credit. No, Lord, I believe that the fellowship here, those who pray for people, those who bring people to be saved, that all of us are going to share because we love you together and we're co-laborers together. Father, it may be there's someone and if there is, without anyone looking around, I won't call you forward, but just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me this morning. Here's my hand. I want Jesus. I want to know him just like you said this morning. Here's my hand. I raise it for you. No one looking around. Just put your hand up quickly. Anyone at all, just put it up high. Say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I really want Jesus in my heart, just as you spoke. Young or old, doesn't matter who. Anywhere, quickly. Just before I close, you want to make sure. Yes, I see your hand. God bless you. Anyone else to join? Anywhere at all, balcony down here. Just put it up high. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Anywhere? Quickly. Quickly. Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Will you confess him this morning? Just put it up high. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. And no one else knows it but me. I need Jesus as my Savior. Anyone? Just as I close now. Anyone else? I don't like to close if there's one who's thinking right now, oh, if I only had the courage. Well, take hold and say, Lord, here's my hand. Gracious Father, we thank thee for thy wondrous word this morning. And Lord, we're not interested in great numbers. We're interested that those that might raise their hands would be sincere believers in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you'd bless that one and touch the heart very deeply. Lord, may they truly know the vastness and the greatness of salvation, that, oh, it involves them first but once they're saved, the vistas of heaven are open to them through their faith in Christ as personal Savior. Bless everyone here this morning. May their hearts rejoice in Jesus. 
and all he means to us, and that all the future is in his hands. Oh, how blessed to know that. All of his word will come true. Not one word will fail, the scripture says. And we want to thank you, Father, for that. We haven't got a worry in the world about the future. All the nations will fall, including our own nation. But God will be the final victor over all the earth and then set up his kingdom in righteousness. And therein will dwell righteousness and a people made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.